All right, I want to welcome everyone who is joining us today through our online campus. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. Thank you uh, for being a part of this service on this Memorial Day weekend. And as we begin, because it's Memorial Day weekend, I just want to pause and I want to honor and remember and be thankful for those who have given their all, I mean literally have given their lives and sacrificed to our country over the years. I want to uh, be thankful for their lives. I want to be thankful for the, the families who, who, who raised them, taught them, instilled courage in them, and uh, I know we're honored by their service. And so uh, as we begin our time of worship, let's just bow our heads together and pray for just a moment. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for another day of life, and we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you on this Memorial Day weekend. And as we begin um, our time of teaching, we just want to pause and say thank you so much for the sacrifices of so many over the years uh, that have uh, contributed so much in making this such a great country um, that we are privileged to live in and be a part of. Uh, we, we thank you for the service of so many who gave their all. We thank you for their families um, who gave their all. We pray your blessing uh, on families who are still grieving the loss of loved ones who gave the sacrifice of their lives in service to the country. And we just pray, Father, that this would be a weekend and a time of remembrance and a time of honor and a time of thankfulness. We love you and we praise you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, um, this weekend begins a, a, a kind of a new five-week summer sermon series, although it's not really a sermon series. Uh, it's called Summer Mixtape, but what I'm basically going to do for the next five weeks is I'm going to simply uh, preach five separate standalone messages. Uh, the messages won't be tied to each other, and so that's why we're calling it Summer Mixtape. And as we begin, I want to spend some time teaching about prayer. The title of the message is The Privilege and the Problem of Prayer. And let's just acknowledge from the beginning that that's kind of an odd or unusual title. I don't imagine anyone would argue the truth that prayer is one of the greatest privileges of the Christian life. I mean, think about it. Prayer allows us to enter into the presence of God for a one-on-one -on -one time of conversation, of communion, and counsel. Prayer allows us to connect with God in the most personal way. Uh, you know, there have been times in my life, and I'm sure that you would say the same thing, when I have thought to myself, I wish I could just sit down and spend some time talking personally to someone who I really looked up to or who I really admired. Uh, but opportunities like that don't happen very often. Now, for me, that's almost always a preacher or some kind of a leader that I really respect and admire. Who would it be for you? Who is someone that you wish that you could just get some time alone with to just talk and, and uh, pick their brain and ask questions and share your heart with uh, for the purpose of getting some counsel? Whoever it is we might choose, there's no one greater than God. And we have the privilege of talking to him anytime, anywhere. I'm not sure that we can even find the words that would capture the blessing and the privilege of that for someone who is a believer. And yet at the same time, I know that prayer can be problematic for some people. 
And if there's one single word that sums up why prayer can be problematic for some people, at least based on my experience ministering to people, it would be the word questions. One of the things I've discovered as a pastor is that people often have a lot of questions about prayer. Questions like, how do I pray? Why should I pray? Why should I pray when God already knows my needs? What kinds of things can I pray for? Does God hear the prayers of people who aren't Christians? Does God always answer our prayers? I could go on and on, but I'm just going to stop right there. I, I don't think there's any way I can identify every single question someone has with regard to prayer. But I can tell you this. Even though I have spent a lot of time in personal conversations and in teaching trying to answer those kinds of questions about prayer, what I have found is that oftentimes the answers are not enough. For example, if someone asks, how do I pray? I would say, you begin right where you are, you talk to God as honestly as possible, and you just continue the conversation throughout the day. But that answer alone doesn't always lead someone to pray. If someone asks, why should I pray? I would say, we pray to experience a deeper connection with God. And that deeper connection leads to intimacy, thanksgiving, peace, knowledge, the discernment of His will, the experience of His power in our lives, and so much more. But that answer alone doesn't always lead someone to pray. If someone asks, why should I pray when God already knows my needs? I would say, we don't pray to inform God about our lives. We pray to invite Him into our lives, into the circumstances of our lives. And we pray to demonstrate how desperately we depend on God. But that answer alone doesn't always lead someone to pray. If someone asks, what kind of things can I pray for? I would say there is nothing, not one single thing in life that is outside of the reach of prayer. And if it concerns you, it concerns God. God doesn't want us to divide our lives into two sections, the sacred part of our life and the secular part of our life. We pray about the sacred part of our life, but we try to handle the secular part of our lives on our own. He wants us to pray about everything. But that answer alone doesn't always lead someone to pray. If someone says, does God hear the prayers of people who aren't Christians? I would say we need to understand that a sovereign God has the power and right to do whatever he wants to do. The Bible indicates that God was aware of the prayers of a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, even though he was an unsaved man. And at the same time, the Bible gives us multiple reasons why God sometimes doesn't respond to the prayers of believers. Sometimes because they ask with uh, selfish motives, because they have sin that they cherish in their heart because they ask without faith. They're filled with pride and on and on and on. So it would be wrong to think that God chooses not to hear and answer every prayer offered by someone who is, an, uh, who is not a Christian, who is even at times maybe called an unbeliever. God does what he wants. He chooses to do what he wants because he's a sovereign God. But that, but that answer alone rather doesn't always lead someone to pray. <laughs> if God excuse me, if someone asks, why should we pray in the name of Jesus? I would say praying in the name of Jesus is simply praying consistently with who Jesus is, what Jesus approves of, and, approves of, and what brings Jesus glory. But that answer alone doesn't always lead someone to pray. <laughs> if someone were to ask, does God always give us what we ask for? I would say, no, thank God that he doesn't always give us what we ask for. Because sometimes, 
uh, we ask for the wrong things. And sometimes God has a greater plan for us than we have for ourselves. But that answer alone doesn't always lead someone to pray. Now, I could go on and on forever. Maybe, the, maybe it's felt like I've been going on and on forever. But I'm going to stop right there. What we really need when it comes to prayer is a greater understanding of what God says. Maybe I should say a greater understanding of what God promises related to prayer. And that brings us to Luke chapter 11. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and turn your Bibles there to Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going to find our text today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 5 through 10. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. Uh, you follow along. You listen as I read or you follow along if you've got your Bible open there. This is, this is what the text says. And this is Jesus speaking. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. All right, we're going to stop right there. Now, as we think about that text, which obviously is a teaching on prayer, there are simply two things that I want to talk to you about. If you're someone who likes to take notes, then whatever you're writing on, write down Number one, and then next to number one, just these two words, just write down a parable, a parable, because that's really what that brief, the, begin, the first part of that brief passage was. It was a parable from Jesus. Now, real quick, before we talk about the parable, I want you to look up, uh, I know we didn't read this, but I want you to look up to the very first verse of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse one says this. This is how the chapter begins. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And that would be a reference to John the Baptist. Let me give you a little bit of background. In Jesus's day, a rabbi, and that's what Jesus was, that's oftentimes in our Bibles, uh, he's literally referred to as a rabbi. Sometimes he's referred to as a teacher, which is another word for rabbi. In Jesus's day, rabbis often composed they wrote out prayers for their disciples or their followers to memorize and recite. That was a way to try to help them pray. But Jesus' disciples, the disciples, had seen Jesus pray enough times to know that his love and desire for prayer was much more than just the reciting of words. And so, one day, after Jesus finishes a time of prayer, one of the disciples says to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And as a result, Jesus gave them, or gives them rather, Luke's version of what we call the Lord's Prayer. This prayer is also found in Matthew chapter 6 as a part of the Sermon on the Mount. But then to reinforce the teaching on prayer, he adds this parable that we just read. This parable about a man who asks his neighbor to lend him three loaves of bread. Now this is so important. I know we just read it. This is so important, this parable, that I want us to look back and read verses 5 through 8 one more time. Listen as I read. 
Here's the parable that follows up Jesus' teaching on prayer where he gives them Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. All right. Now, with that firmly in your mind, here's what I want you to understand. The key to this parable as it relates to prayer is found in one single word that Jesus uses, just one, and it's the word boldness boldness. We see it there in verse 8. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. In the original language of the New Testament, that's the Greek word anadeia, anadeia. And literally translated, it means shameless. And so Jesus Jesus is saying in this parable that because the man in need of the bread was willing to set aside all sense of shame in repeatedly asking his neighbor at midnight for help, the neighbor ends up responding by giving him as much bread as he needed. And Jesus is teaching us, friends, that this is how we need to pray. We need to pray with boldness or with a sense of shamelessness. We are so intent on what it is that we're seeking from him that we don't give up. Now, I can't speak for you, but I read this, or I read that, and it's clear to me that I need to get rid of any hesitancy that I might ever feel when it comes to praying. I mean, here's a man whose neighbor comes to him at midnight. That's a terrible time for a visit. It was even worse in those days because when the sun went down, people pretty much went to bed because the next day's work began so early. But in spite of that, the neighbor wakes him up at midnight because he needs to borrow some bread. Listen, he didn't wake him up because his wife was having a baby. He didn't wake him up because his house was on fire. You would probably excuse the interruption for something like that. His problem was he was a little unprepared for a surprise visit from a friend, and he needs some food. He needs some extra bread. So the guy, the neighbor, says, don't bother me, man. Leave me alone. The door is locked. Everyone's asleep. I can't help you right now. But the man doesn't stop asking. And what Jesus does in the parable, because it's so brief, what Jesus does in the parable is rather than giving us all the details of the asking, he just cuts to the chase and says that finally, not because these two men are friends, not because these two men are neighbors, but because of the persistent boldness, the persistent shamelessness of the one man in need, the neighbor ends up giving him everything that he needs. Now, we don't need to make this more complicated than it is. One of the most significant, the most significant thing this parable teaches us is we need to pray. We need to pray. Prayer needs to be a part of our lives. And the reason why I say that is because Jesus wouldn't give us this extreme teaching about prayer, and that's what it is. It's an extreme teaching about prayer. He wouldn't give us this extreme teaching about prayer if it weren't important. We need to pray. If you're a person of faith, if you're a believer, a Christian, you need to pray. 
There shouldn't be anything that keeps us from praying. Now, I'm going to push the pause button here for a moment. And I'm going to go back to how we started and talk about the many questions, when we talked about rather, the many questions some people have about prayer. And the truth that oftentimes those questions just paralyze us when it comes to prayer. And I will tell you that probably the most common question that I've been asked over the years about prayer is this one. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe this is a question you've had. Does prayer change the mind of God? Does prayer change the mind of God? And really the thought behind the question is this. If God is sovereign and already knows what's going to happen in life, then why should I pray? Now let's just establish from the beginning that there is no doubt, the Bible teaches us this so clearly, there's no doubt that God is sovereign. What does that mean? It means that God is the creator of all things, that he is the sustainer of all things, and that he is in control of all things. That's what it means. That's a simple explanation or definition of what it means to say that God is sovereign. We talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, this is something I told you last week. The Bible teaches us over and over again, both by precept through the written word of the Bible and through example, through examples of how God demonstrated his sovereignty in the Bible. Let's just think about it in terms of precept for uh, a little while uh, as we share together today. Psalm 33 and verse 11, this would be an example of by precept, says, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Job 42 and verse 2 says this. This is Job speaking. Think about the context if you're familiar with the book of Job. Job, after this incredible encounter with God. Job 42 and verse 2, he says this about God. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. In Acts chapter 1, just before uh, Jesus returned to heaven, the disciples asked him a very pointed question. This is Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, what their question really was is, Lord, are you at this time going to set us free from Roman rule? Are you going to get us out from under the thumb of the rule of the Romans? Now that you have died on the cross, been buried in the tomb, risen from the dead, you've proved in an unmistakable way that you are who you say you are, are you now going to set us free from the Romans? And here's how Jesus answered the question. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Let me read that one more time once you think about it. Jesus says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now, the phrase that you really need to pay attention to is the phrase, times and dates the Father, our sovereign God, has set by his own authority. What Jesus is saying as he responds to their question is that all chronological history and all of the events that occur within it are fixed by God's sovereign authority. There is no question that our God is sovereign over the universe that he created. God is sovereign. And here's the other thing that we need to understand. The Bible teaches us that one of the characteristics of God's sovereign authority 
is that he does not change. Proverbs 19 and verse 21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. We make our plans, but whatever it is that God purposes is what ends up prevailing, what ends up happening. You know, we change our plans all the time. Why? Because we get more information. Or we change our plans because our circumstance somehow changes. But that's not the way it is with God because his plans are perfect because he's our sovereign God. Now, I could go on, but I'm going to stop. Here's the bottom line. And remember, we're talking about this one question in particular about um, if, if, uh, if, God, if, if God is sovereign and his plans are already in place, then why should I pray? Because why should I think that I can change the mind of God or the plans of God? Given all of the overwhelming truth about the unchanging nature of God, which is a part of his sovereign character, that question is natural. Do my prayers really matter? If God already knows what's going to happen because God already has a plan, why should I pray? Why do I need to pray? Why is prayer so important? Well, while no one can say that they fully understand or comprehend the mind of a sovereign God, certainly not me, I'm going to give you my best answer. And it's a simple answer because I think simple is sometimes the best way to approach or to answer questions and problems that we're presented with with regard to our faith and our understanding of the Bible. And I'm just going to tell you this. We need to pray because the Bible very clearly tells us and teaches us to pray. We need to pray because the Bible says to pray. We need to pray because the Bible, which is the revelation of God to man, the revelation of the will of God, the mind of God to man, tells us to pray. That's why we need to pray. Questions aside, doesn't minimize the questions, but all questions aside, we need to pray because the Bible tells us to pray. In the first part of Luke 11, we, we started a minute ago by just before we looked at the parable, by referencing the way the chapter began. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, at one point, one of the disciples of Jesus, after a time of prayer that Jesus was involved in, asks Jesus, or says to Jesus, rather, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, that's what Jesus does. He teaches them to pray. What he doesn't do is he doesn't lean over and whisper to them, hey, don't worry about praying because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It's just a waste of time. Instead, he taught them to pray. And he taught them to pray by using that same basic model or pattern of prayer that he used in Matthew chapter 6. And that's just one of the many examples the Bible has with regard to teaching us how to pray. So what's our conclusion? Well, there's no question that God wants us to pray. In fact, prayer is as much a part of God's will for all of us as believers as anything else we could mention. But the question remains, what difference does it make? What difference does our prayer make? And here's the very best answer I can give. When we pray, we become a part of God's plan. When we pray, we become a part of God's plan. The most fundamental thing we need to understand about prayer is that it's not about changing God's mind or changing God's plan. It's becoming a part of God's plan. It's about becoming a part of God's plan. Now, I've got to tell you, and I don't know any other way to say this, this is such a deep, 
spiritual truth that I'm not sure I can communicate it effectively. Honestly, I think this is a truth that needs to be experienced more than it needs to be explained. It needs to be experienced in our lives more than it needs to be taught. But let me just try with just one simple Old Testament example. Are you familiar with the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament? Nehemiah, uh, who was a Jew, who was a slave in Babylon as a result of the Babylonian captivity, is uh, the cupbearer to the king of Babylon. So he's in a pretty prestigious place and a pretty important role as a slave, as a Jewish slave in Babylon. And one day, this is what we see in the first chapter of Nehemiah, one day he finds out that the Jews who are still living in Judah, his homeland, are living in great trouble and great distress because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates of the wall have all been burned. And so what Nehemiah does is he enters a time of weeping and fasting and mourning and praying. He's so troubled, so distressed, so burdened by this news that he hears that he begins to pray. And as a result of the prayer, he felt called to lead an effort to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city, which is exactly what he ended up doing. And so what we see is that through Nehemiah's prayer, he ultimately became a part of God's plan. Now that's just one example. I can't tell you what it might look like for you with whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is you're praying about, but I can tell you this. The Bible tells you this is the will of God for you if you're a believer. You need to pray. Praying should be a part of your life. And let me just add one final thing about this at the risk of sounding too simple in my thinking. You know, I understand the question, if God already knows what's going to happen, do my prayers even matter? But I got to be honest and tell you that I don't always understand why that question seems to paralyze so many believers to the point where it keeps them from praying. And here's why I say that. I know I don't have any problem at all understanding for myself that there's no way I, with my limited abilities, my limited mind, could ever fully understand or comprehend the mind of an infinite sovereign God. I know I can't do that. I mean, I flunked algebra when I was in the ninth grade. I had to take it a second time in summer school so I could move on to the next grade. If I couldn't fully understand algebra when I was 14, how am I going to understand the infinite sovereign mind of God almost 50 years later? I don't have any problem recognizing that about myself. But I recognize his sovereignty. I recognize the infinite nature of God. And so I don't get bogged down in the things that I can't understand. I focus on the things that I can understand. And I do understand the instruction of the Bible, the instruction of God to pray. And so I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray boldly. And you need to do the same thing. Now, let me give you one more thing because there's a second point, but it's going to be very brief before we close. I know that we've spent all this time talking about a parable. If you like to take notes, write down a number two, and next to the number two, just write down a promise. A promise. There's a promise that goes along with this parable about praying boldly. And we see it in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Because once Jesus finished the parable, which is verses 5 through 8, he says, So I say to you, and I know you've heard these words before. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. What we have here, and this is 
all I'm really going to say about this, what we have here are three imperative verbs written in the present tense. And here's why that's important. Because what Jesus is really saying to the disciples about prayer is this, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Don't let anything keep you from praying, in other words. Don't ever stop praying. And so he's continuing the theme of the parable. Don't be hesitant. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be reluctant. When you pray, be bold, be shameless. Now, I want to just remind you of something that I told you last week. Prayer is not some kind of a blank check from God. And the Bible teaches us that there are sometimes reasons why our prayers can go unanswered. They can be a lack of faith. We can have unconfessed sin in our hearts, in our lives. We can have wrong motives. Uh, you can go on and on and on. But the bottom line is the Bible teaches us, friends, uh, as your pastor, somebody who cares about you and your spiritual life and your spiritual growth and development, your spiritual formation, the Bible says pray. We need to pray. And if our prayers are focused on lining our lives up with the will of God, we can expect an outcome that will lead to our growth. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've certainly prayed my fair share of prayers that weren't answered the way I wanted, the way I asked. But here's what I've learned. And maybe some of you could say the same thing. When I pray with a heart that is genuinely focused on God, genuinely in tune with God, our sovereign God. He always teaches me. He always blesses me. He always brings me to a sense of peace and a sense of trust in my heart, even when the outcome, the answer, is not what I initially sought. Because that's what God does. Prayer is not about changing the mind of God. Prayer is not about changing the plan of God. Prayer is about becoming a part of the mind and the plan of God. Let me bring this to a close. I've got a question. How many of you are familiar, just wherever you are today, how many of you are familiar with the words of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11? I would imagine that many of you are familiar with the words even if you don't immediately recognize the reference. This is what that verse says. For I know the plans I have for you. Think about this. For I know the plans I have for you. This is God. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's a great verse. Incredible verse. How can you not read that or hear that and be blessed? It's an affirmation of God's sovereignty. It's an affirmation of God's sovereignty working out his perfect plan and his perfect purpose for our lives. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I see this verse all over the place. I hear believers all the time talking about this being their favorite verse or even this being their life verse. It's a great verse. Now, in complete honesty, I will have to tell you there are lots of time when, times when I hear that this is my favorite verse or this is my life verse, when I feel like I need to spend some time reminding people of the importance of studying the Bible in context because this is a verse that can often and easily be misused, but I don't have time to talk about that. What I want you to see is something very specific in the context of today's message. We read verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. We can't ignore verses 12 and 13. That's what it means to study the Bible in context because verses 12 and 13 go on to say, Then you will call upon me 
and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, friends, I would just I would just encourage you sometime today to read, open your Bible up to Jeremiah chapter 29 and read verses 11, 12, and 13 together as one passage of Scripture. And when you do, like I just did, to be honest, you're probably going to seem, it's probably, or you're, it's probably going to seem like there's a contradiction in those words. Because first, in verse 11, God says, I've got a plan for you. It's fixed, it's set, and it's good. That's really the message of verse 11. But then he goes on in verses 12 and 13 and says, but even though I've got a plan for you, come and pray, come and seek me, and I'll listen to what you have to say. That seems like a contradiction. But here's what I want you to understand. It's not. It's not a contradiction. You know what it is? It is the way God has chosen to live out his sovereignty in our lives. God's plan and our prayers are meant to work together in harmony. God says, I got a plan for you and it's a good plan, but you come and pray. You come and pray. You come and seek me. And I promise I'm going to listen to what you say. God's plan and our prayers are meant to work together in harmony. Not so we can change the mind of God or the plan of God so that we can become a part of it and it can become a part of us. And so we should never doubt the effectiveness of prayer. We should never doubt the necessity of prayer. We just need to pray. So let me close by asking this question. What do you need to pray about today? I know last week I challenged you with a question about prayer. I'm going to do it again. What do you need to pray about today? What's, what's heavy in your heart, your mind? What's weighing on you and your family? What do you need to pray about today? Here's what you need to do. Be bold. Be shameless. And no matter what, don't stop praying. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for a chance to spend some time talking about prayer, uh, which can, you know, be such a great blessing, but for some people, such a great challenge. I, I hope and pray that your Holy Spirit has brought a little bit, at least a little bit of clarity uh, to prayer today for all of us. I pray in my feeble effort to uh, to try to share some some truth or shine some light on the reality of prayer and how we should understand prayer that your Holy Spirit might take something and apply it to heart, a heart or hearts in a way that uh, creates a desire uh, and a willingness to pray and to pray boldly. Thank you for being the God uh, that you are, the sovereign God of the universe, but also the God who loves to spend time with us as we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.